Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This is Coach Andrea today and I am doing a solo episode. So going forward, once a week, I am going to be doing either an episode by myself or talking with one of the other coaches or doing an interview. So we're going to have three episodes a week going forward. Um, today, I'm going to talk about some things that you can do to improve your training. So I'm going to talk about five different things that I see um, that a lot of clients coming in have room for improvement. And these are the kind of things where uh, maybe you've been training for a while and um, you're just not quite seeing the progress that you feel like you should. And these are those things that will take you from good to great. So these um, aren't in any particular order or anything. It's going to really depend on your uh, limiting factor, like what your, your weak link is on what is going to make the biggest difference for you. But the thing that I'm going to start off with is exercise selection. So one of the things that we see with new clients is um, they're doing they're doing a good job with their training. They're pushing themselves hard enough, but the ex exercise selection isn't quite optimal. And so um, some suboptimal exercise selection would be things like um, movements that have a poor SFR, so stimulus to fatigue ratio. Stimulus to, to fatigue ratio is, does this movement have a good stimulus and a low fatigue? That would be, that would be a good SFR. Poor SFR is either, hey, this movement has a good stimulus, but the fatigue cost is so high that it's not really worth it, or it just doesn't have very good stimulus at all. So an example of something with a poor SFR is going to be a barbell deadlift from the floor. So great stimulus with that movement, but it is so taxing. Um, I know that whenever I, so I, I used to do power lift train, power lifting training and every day after I would do heavy squats or heavy deadlifts, I would take a nap afterward. And luckily it was just a time in my life whenever I was able to do that. Um, but that, that's not a great thing because most people aren't going to just be able to go home and take a nap. Um, and it's just so taxing that you're kind of drained for quite a while. And if you're not able to fully recover, well, then the next time you go into the gym, your performance is probably going to be suboptimal. So um, taking the the concept of a barbell deadlift and turning that into a movement that has a better SFR, we could use something like a uh, Romanian deadlift. So Romanian deadlift is still going to be a hinge movement pattern. It's still going to be working the glutes and the hamstrings, but it doesn't have as much of a fatigue cost because uh, just the fact that you are um, not putting the bar to the floor each time you're not using as much bend in your knees, you're going to be using less weight. But even though the weight is lower, the, the stimulus is just as great because you're keeping that tension on the, the muscles that you want it on. Um, something else here would be like a barbell row versus let's say like a seated cable row. A seated cable row is going to be much less taxing and you're still going to get a great stimulus with it versus a barbell row where first you, you can use quite a bit of weight and then you also have to pick it up off the floor each time. And you also are going to have a lot of axial load. So like a, a lot of um, load on the low back because you're having to hold in that hinge, hinge um, bent over position to do the movement. So you could even take that a step closer to the barbell RDL or um, sorry, barbell 
row and just turn it into a seal row. Seal rows are great. It's where you're lying face down on a bench and the bar is underneath the bench and you row underneath the bar. That it just adding that chest support means that that load is going to be a lot less taxing on you because you're not having to support it with your glutes, low back and hamstrings throughout the entire thing. So if you are using a lot of movements that you could see are either very taxing on your body, or you're just not getting a great stimulus with them, then switching over those movements to something with a greater S or a, uh, yeah, an improved SFR is going to be really, really helpful here. Another thing that we consider with exercise selection is going to be the rate limiter of exercise. So for example, with a movement that you want to tax your glutes, we want the glutes to be the thing that gives out first. So let's go back to the barbell deadlift example. Let's say you're doing that movement because you want to work your glutes. Well, what is giving out first? Is it your grip strength? Is it just that you're overall too taxed to keep going? Or is it the glutes? Um, most of the time with those things, it's going to be like the low back, the just your, your heart rate or something like that, and not the target muscle. So we can take that and look at what is going to be a better movement. Well, maybe it is a 45 degree hip extension, or maybe it is a, um, a, a reverse lunge with like a bit of a forward lean so that you are not having to hold on to quite so much weight, but you're getting a lot of direct work on the glutes. Something else that you can consider with this is adding some tools like a, um, a wrist strap. So wrist straps are going to let you hold on to a larger amount of weight without your grip being the thing to give out first. Wrist straps are something that we send out to so many clients. Anytime somebody says in one of their check-ins, hey, my, my grip is just giving out on this movement. What do I do? I'm like, I'm sending you wrist straps right now because these are so helpful in letting you continue on so that your, your, your uh, target muscle is the thing taking most of the load and it is gonna be the thing that gives out first. And the reason why that's so important is because if you're giving, if you're putting the weights down because of your grip, your grip is the thing going to zero RIR, your glutes still have several reps left in them. And we know from research that you need to be somewhere within that zero or one up to maybe four or five reps shy of failure, just to get enough stimulus on the muscle for it to grow. So if you continually put the weight down because your grip or your core, or your balance then you're never taking that target muscle close enough to failure. And so therefore it's not going to be able to grow very effectively. Now, another consideration within exercise selection is going to be the, the, uh, where the movement is hardest. So is this a lengthened overload movement or is it a shortened overload movement? So some examples of these, let's say, um, let's use the glutes again, lengthened overload movement, something like an RDL is going to be hardest when the muscle is in its most stretched position. So that's length and overload. So at the very bottom of an RDL, that's typically where you're going to fail it. Typically, if you get above halfway up, you can lock it out. No problem. But once you get very, very close to failure, either you, you start noticing you cut those reps a little bit shorter because that's where the hardest part of it is, or you're still using great form and you're getting down into the bottom position, but then you can't bring it back up with good form. So that is length and overload. Now, shortened overload, think the position where this is most difficult 
is when the muscle is fully shortened. So with glutes, that would be something like a glute bridge, a hip, a hip thrust. Um, when you do a hip thrust, the hardest part is at lockout. So the difference between these two types of movements is length and overload movements need to be the majority of your work because they are where the muscle grows best. Now we still want to include some shortened overload work just so that we're getting work in every part of the movement. But if we have, let's say two thirds of the movements as length and overload, you're going to grow better versus a lot of short overload movements. And the, the times that we see this happening where you're getting mostly shortened overload movements is, Hey, I've been doing these, um, like really like pump style workouts where we're doing just a bunch of like bicep curls and, um, like the booty pump type of workouts. Those things are focused on the feel of the movement. And while you definitely want to feel the movement in the right places, that shouldn't be the only focus. So we definitely want a good pump, but we don't want to focus on that more than, um, the, the stimulus of the muscle. So like disruption. So that, um, those are kind of the considerations for exercise selection. The next thing that I'm going to talk about here is working close enough to failure. So I kind of touched on this a bit before, but if you're not taking the target muscle close enough to failure, then you're not accumulating enough stimulus to grow. So we will typically see people not taking things close enough to failure within circuit style workouts, where the reason that you're stopping is because you're run, you're uh, running, you're, you're using very short rest times. And so now instead of taking the muscle close to failure, you're just stopping because you're gassed. If you're only resting 30 seconds between um, your, your movements, then you're just going to get really tired and not be able to take it as far to push to that point. Um, that's one reason that we see not working close enough to failure. Another reason is um, the, the things that I mentioned before with stimulus to fatigue ratio and um, the rate limiter of the movement. All of these are pretty intertwined, but um, th those are some big reasons that we'll see that. So with something like Orange Theory or CrossFit, we see that all the time because these type of workouts are uh, very fast paced and a lot of times time bound. So if you're doing something for 30 seconds, as many reps as possible, or every minute on the minute, then you're stopping because of the time, not because you're getting close enough to failure. So it's very important that you're working close enough in order to get that stimulus. Something that I like using as a tool to improve this, because a lot of people coming in don't even really know what it feels like to push a failure. We'll say, Hey, let's go to one or two RIR here and we'll watch videos and go, Hey, you probably had like five left in the tank at the end of this. Um, but it doesn't feel like that because it gets really uncomfortable. It gets heavy and this may be harder than they've pushed themselves in the past. So something that's a really useful tool for this to learn how that feels is a plus set. So for example, let's say you're doing a, um, cable row and you have your first two sets of eight to 12 and you're pushing, let, let's say you get around 10 on each one of these. And then the last one is a plus set. Well, a plus set just means we're going to take this as far as you can, like go until failure. Um, and a lot of times if you do that, 
it's like, oh, I can keep going one more and one more and one more and one more. And all of a sudden you're getting like 17, 18 reps where you thought you were failing at 10. There was actually a study done on this where um, they had people take what they claimed was their 10 rep max on, I think it was a back squat um, to failure. And some of them were getting like 20, 25 reps on this. And, and these were not brand new uh, trainees, all of them. So it's very easy to feel like you are working really close to failure. Um, so every once in a while, using one of those plus sets can be really, really helpful with that. Next one is rest times. So like I said, these are all really intertwined. I kind of touched on this before, but so many people use really short rest times. And this is much more common with women because, um, we are able to recover in between it. For one thing, we're able to just recover really quickly in between and get back to it. And then for another thing, we also have this thing ingrained where it just, feels like you're working harder and burning more calories if you don't don't rest in between. So we'll see people um, doing things in between to keep their heart rate up or um, just getting back to the exercise way too quickly. So with rest times, as a very general rule for especially those first two or three movements in a workout, I like to see two to three minutes or even three to four minutes rest in between. And then as we get closer to the bottom of the workout where you're doing more accessory style lifts like arms or shoulders, then uh, you can you can either superset or go a little bit shorter on rest times. But um, unless it is a, a superset where you're actually going to get more rest because you're moving on to a different movement, then I won't typically go below um, one minute. Now, there's there is utility for using lower rest times. Like if you just want to improve your VO2 or improve your work capacity, um, maybe work in like a metabolic style for a while to have a very specific type of outcome, then that can be okay. But if your goal is hypertrophy, then most of the time you need to be in a hypertrophy style training session. And that's, that's going to be resting plenty of time in between. And the reason that you want to do that is when you don't fully when you don't adequately rest in between your session or in then you go into the next set, just still a little bit too gassed from the one before. And so you're not fully recovered. You're not able to regenerate enough energy to, to put all of your effort into the next set. So it's okay to lose some reps from set to set. In fact, whenever I see, people losing reps from set to set that tells me that we're probably working pretty hard on each of those. Um, but if you just feel like completely gassed on your next set after your resting period, then you may need to take a look at how long you're resting. Um, because again, like we don't want to be failing because of the pump or metabolite accumulation. We really want to be resting a good amount of time and being able to put in that full effort so that you're getting close to failure with the target muscle tissue. All right. Next one is going to be mind muscle connection and the squeeze. So this one is not quite as scientific, but, um, there are some things that I, I want to touch on here that are just, I've seen anecdotally as really important. So, um, let's, let's say you're doing a hack squat. And so you're in the hack squat machine 
And there are a couple different ways that you can perform this movement. One being, I'm just going to worry about getting from point A to B, and I'm going to drop down, kind of lose tension in the bottom, bounce off of my knee joints, and get back up to the top in any way possible. Now, it's in a hack squat, so there's you're still in a fixed position. It's not like you're going to have really terrible form or anything like that. But if you're losing a little bit of tension in the, in the bottom of the movement, number one, it's not great for your joints. So you're, you're, you may cause some knee pain or hip pain over time with that type of form. Um, another thing with that is that losing tension in the muscle throughout the, the bottom of the range of motion is just not going to lend itself to the, the same kind of stimulus. And like I said, this is not like science. I can't prove this, but I have seen enough anecdotal evidence of this, that, um, it just lends itself to better tension in the muscle, which means better stimulus to the muscle, which means better growth. And the, the thing with this is that all of the research says more volume means more growth, but I think you can get a little bit too focused on that where it's like, I just want to add weight and add weight and add weight to the detriment of the, the way that I'm performing this rep and the, the tension that I'm keeping on the muscle. So although I do want you to focus on adding weight as much as you can, like we definitely are focused on progressive overload. That's important, but the rep quality needs to remain the same. So if you go from hundred pounds on a movement to 115, but you're using more momentum, you're using the stretch reflex in the bottom and you're kind of bouncing off of your joints at the bottom of the movement, then did you really add 15 pounds of strength in the muscle or did you just find a more efficient way of getting that weight from A to B? So it's, it's important within this to keep your rep quality high. And I would even within mind muscle connection, I would also add tempo to be like somewhat intertwined with this. Um, because if you're using, let's say like a three Oh, Oh, or three Oh one, one tempo, where you're using a three second eccentric, um, that kind of necessarily causes you to keep that tension on the muscle. Um, so that that's, like I said, that's one of those things that's a little bit foggier in research and things like that, but I do think it's extremely important. And the very last one that I'm going to talk about is range of motion. So with range of motion, um, we definitely want full range of motion, but it needs to be within the muscles active range. So, um, let's use a, let's use an RDL as an example, cause I see this all the time. We want the range of motion to be, Hey, I am getting full range of motion with sending my hips back. So I'm getting as much of a stretch on my glutes and hamstrings as possible. But once I get to that point where my hips won't travel backward any further, then that's the end of that range of motion. And I need to come back forward. So what that is, that is full range of motion for the muscle but it's not full range of motion for the movement. You could probably keep going and get the weights closer to the floor. And that's what I see all the time. But 
I'll, I'll show this to clients all the time within movement videos. I'll, I'll pause it when the hips are all the way back. And I'll say, look at where your hips are right now. And then watch what happens when I push play, I push play and they keep going down, but the hips don't continue to travel back. And so all of that range of motion now is coming from the low back, which we're not looking for in an RDL. So make sure with your range of motion, you are keeping it within the active range of motion of the muscle, not necessarily the active range of motion in the joint or in the movement itself. So that is definitely something that, um, a lot of people could improve. Now on the flip side of that, we want to make sure that you're going through the full range of motion. So, uh, on, let's say like a tricep ex rope extension, um, I'll see sometimes like only going halfway up or only going like most of the way down, but not locking it out completely. If it is within the muscles, full range, we still want to make sure that you're taking it through that entire range of motion. That way, um, you're not strengthening just a portion of it and leaving the other, the other portion weaker. So whatever you're training is going to be the, the thing that adapts. And you can definitely have weak points within a movement. Like I think it's really clear to see that on something like a squat or a bench press where, if you have a sticking point, it's like, okay, if I, if I strengthen just from the top half, just from the, just from the um, top to the halfway point down on a squat, then I'm never going to build strength in that bottom range of motion. And that's always going to be that sticking point. So sometimes you kind of have to back the weight down, work your way from full range of motion all the way down back up in weight to match the bottom half of your squat to the top half of the squat. And when you do that, even though you're backing the weight down, because you're getting that full range of motion, now all of a sudden you're going to see more muscle growth, especially with that squat example, like you're taking your quads through a much fuller range of motion, you're taking your glutes now through a much fuller range of motion. And so you'll see better growth doing that versus just doing half reps, half rep, um, exercises. So to summarize those things, again, the things that you can take right now and improve your training to see better growth are going to be improved exercise selection, improved, uh, uh working closer to failure, longer rest times, a better mind muscle connection and better range of motion. So thank you for listening let me know any feedback you have on um, the new format with three shows per week or anybody that you would like to hear. Um, send me a DM and let me know. But thank you for joining me on the show today and I'll see you next time.